you'll turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. I'm on, right? So you remember we're doing this series where it's based on this verse where Peter says this to people. It's getting towards the end of his life and he loves these people that he's been writing to. And he says in verse 15, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. One day I was studying those words and they just seemed to leap out of the pages to me. And I began to think, what are the things that I really, really want to know after my departure that you will do, that you will live? Last week we did the first one of those um, lessons where I talk about surrender and how God just longs to help us be people who make the right choices because there are always consequences and we don't want to live in comfort zone living. We want to be people who surrender fully to Jesus Christ so that he can be all that he wants to be and needs to be in his people. So that was one of the lessons that I just felt really compelled to teach. So I had one more lesson to go and I'm thinking, what in the world do I teach? Because I just have like 15 lessons that I really want to teach you. So what do I, what do I leave with you? And so I thought there was one lesson that I have not really done a, a, a good enough job of sharing with heartstrings people. And so it's on prayer. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Much of this material, when you see quotes, will be based on a book by Paul Miller. You might want to write this. Oh, it's on your note-taking guides there. The Praying Life by Paul Miller. I would really strongly encourage you to go out and buy this. Family Bookstore always just uh, gives us a hard time when I say that. And 25 people say, can I have this book? And they go, why didn't you tell us that you were going to be ordering all these books? So just tell them, I'm sorry. I'm leaving. What are they going to say? <laughs> um, it's just a, a great book. I have read tons of books on prayer. It's kind of one of my main places that I read. And um, his book is so good. It's so simple and yet has some profound things in it too. And it's real practical also. So I really encourage you to get The Praying Life by Paul Miller. And many of the quotes that we'll be sharing today will be from his book. Um, I also wanted to tell you that as I teach on prayer today... I am teaching not as a person standing up here on a platform looking down on you saying this is how you need to pray. The better visual would be I'm down here with you talking to you as a fellow traveler. One of my passions in life is to be a prayer warrior. And um, one of my passions in life is to help other people be prayer warriors. I'm just a fellow traveler. Some of the things that we're going to talk about today, I do really well for a while and then don't do as well for a while. Others, I'm just still working on. So I don't do this in any way as a person who says, I have this prayer life that you just do my prayer life and you'll be great. I'm just like saying, okay, these are the things I'm working on and longing for in my own life. Let me tell you something else about today's lesson. You're going to kind of go crazy. At the end, you're going to be going, whoo, kind of like a whirlwind has kind of hit me because I have so much stuff I want to teach you. I want to teach you kind of some of the philosophical stuff about prayer. But then I can't wait to get to the end where it's the practical things about praying. But I don't want you to gloss over with your eyes and go, okay, man, she's just talked for 15 minutes and so I'm not really sure what she said. So I'm going to give you a lot of questions. I'm going to talk a lot. I'm going to give you questions. I'm going to say you have one minute. Get in there and talk in one minute. Throw your answers out. Throw it really fast. And then we're going to come back and talk more. So you're, some of you are going to go, slow down. I'm not going to. So <laughs> just hold on. I think by the end you'll say, well, it was worth it. But
but it's going to be kind of crazy. So I'm going to give you a lot of stuff to talk about, but I'm not going to give you much stuff, much time to talk about it. So let's start off in prayer. Okay, Lord, I just can't wait to talk about this stuff. I can't wait to teach this lesson. I can't wait for you to, I just really feel like you're saying you're going to turn the light bulbs in, in people's hearts and lives and minds today. And so I give this to you completely. I just picture being um, at the foot of the cross and just laid out before you with my face down in the dirt to say I just want to know more about you and love you more love people more and I think that prayer is one way that we get there so I'm just giving you my entire being this morning and um, if I stutter and stammer and get messed up you just use it if I do anything in a good way you just be glorified in it and I just pray for my friends that every single one of us will end this lesson today at 11 o'clock by saying that's how I want to live I want to live as your prayer servant. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, just a second. Start off with just a little... Oh, some of the things I'll teach you today, you may have heard before, okay? That's part of Peter's word saying, okay, what have I said to you before that I really, really, really want you to remember, so I'm going to say it again. So I may tell a few things today that you even have heard me say before, and this first one is one of them. Um, I was 27 years old, and I was really, really up and down in my spiritual disciplines. I would do great for a week, and I would do really bad for a week, and just up and down. I'm a sanguine who is kind of, emotions are big and a sanguine, so I was like, okay, if I felt good, I would do spiritual disciplines, and if I didn't, then I would pull back from it. And I just hated that part of my life, and I really sensed that there was um, more mis- more possible in my life that I wanted and needed to get to. And it was uh, when I was 27 that John gave me a book that really changed my life. It's a book written by a woman named Gail McDonald, and she talked about the fact that when you first get saved, she used a visual, a, a metaphor that just really helped me. She said, it's like when you first get saved, it's like God, the great fire starter, starts a fire in your heart. And for a while, he tends that fire, and he just helps it to grow. She said that over a period of time, maturity comes to where God says, it's time for you to tend that fire yourself. And she said the way you tend that fire is a lot of ways, but two particular ways, is by spending time in the Word and by becoming a person of prayer. That's how you tend that fire. That's how you help that fire to grow and stay hot. She said one sentence then that changed my life. It's on your notes there. She said, untended fires soon die and just become a pile of ashes. Because I'm such a word picture person, that just spoke to me tremendously. Untended fires soon die and just become a pile of ashes. And I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, I want my fire to stay hot for a lifetime. I don't want to be a person where the fire dies out and I just am no longer on fire for you. And so I... In thinking about that thought, so many Christians do let their fires die. And I began to say at that point when I was 27, if you will help me, I will become a person of the word and a person of prayer. I will become a person who keeps my own fire hot. And that's what took me on this trajectory to become a person of the word and a person of prayer. And so um, 
that's one of the that's a background for why I think this lesson is so important for us today. Well, I want to think about something first before we dig into prayer. I want to think about communication. Think for a minute about communication with your spouse or with your best friend. Okay. What are some of the components, don't look at your notes yet, what are some of the components of great communication? In other words, when you have really great communication with somebody, with a best friend or with your husband or with, you know, just somebody that you love having great communication with, what are some of the components? What, how would you describe that kind of communication? What are some of the elements of it? You say, well, it's great. This is what describes it. You have one minute. Remember I said it's going to be really, really fast stuff? One minute. What are some of the components of great communication? One minute, go. Ten seconds. It's out of print. I don't think you can get it. It's really old. Okay. I wrote down some of the elements that I think are components of great communication. Let's see if you said any of these things, and you probably added some things that are really great too. When there's great communication, there's just lots of it. It's not when you just, you know, only talk to the person five minutes every five years. There's lots of it. It's when I'm completely myself. When I go, I was just so honest with that person, or he or she with me. It's when there's a sense that the other person is really listening. It's not just a planned or a ritual thing. It just flows out of me. The best times are when we're together and we go, I remember some of the times that John and I have ended up sitting on the couch. I remember a couple of times specifically where we sat on the couch, we were making uh, decisions that were going to last for the rest of our lives. And we sat there, I remember thinking at the end, it's like two or three hours later, oh my goodness, I thought we were together for like 10 minutes. It was communication at, at its finest. And I thought, this is, must be what eternity's like, where there's no time. I didn't have any time in this. It was just communication, unbelievably so. Um, it includes my emotions. Sometimes it has laughter. Sometimes it has tears. Sometimes it has frustration. It's just me. There's a depth of conversation. We get below the surface stuff. There's honesty. Often, it's when times are not hurried and there's great openness. Now, you may have added some things that were just as good as those, but I wanted to put a few things down. Now, you have two minutes. If you came in late, you don't know this. I just said, this is going to be like uh, popcorn stuff. I'm going to say stuff, you're going to talk. I'm going to say stuff, you're going to talk. So it's going to be really fast. Circle all of those components above that do not represent prayer with your Savior right now. Why would you say, and then I want you to pick out one of them and explain it. So, like, which of all those things that I said is great communication, which one does not represent your prayer life right now with your Savior? And then I want you to pick one of them and go around the table and share yours. So, like, if I said, um, uh, man, I'm not completely myself with him right now. I'm, like, kind of hiding from him. Then tell that, okay? Now, two minutes, you don't get much time. Pick one out. It does not represent your prayer life right now. And uh, share that. Ready? Two minutes, go. Okay. I hope you identified some places that you say, hmm, I maybe have some room for improvement in this prayer life thing. Well, I want to talk briefly about a problem that we all have when it comes to prayer. You could fill in this blank. Prayer can be difficult. Prayer can be difficult. I mean, think about it. Great communication is difficult with anybody. And it should not be surprising to us that it would be difficult in this relationship where we can't even see the other person. 
prayer can be difficult. Let me read you a, um, an excerpt from my journal one Saturday morning I was praying. I wonder why prayer is so hard, Lord. It's easier for me to open several books and study than it is to pray. It's easier to study your word and get lots out of it than it is to pray. Why? I truly don't know. I believe in prayer with all my heart, but it requires such focus. And often I don't feel like focusing. And it requires focus for the entire time. Maybe it's because there are muscles that have to be developed to be able to pray well, and we don't stay consistent enough to develop those. Maybe it's because when I study, at the end I have a lesson written or some lessons learned as a result of the of the studying. But in prayer, I can go for years, decades even, and not see results from intercessory prayer, praying for other people. So it's easy to neglect prayer, Lord. Yet even as I write those words, I realize that I certainly do see results from praying, especially when I pray, your will be done in me. And I see so much more anointing in and upon and through my life when I concentrate on prayer. Maybe it's all of the above. Surely they are true. So now I come in prayer with a mind that wanders at times, but with a heart of faith that says, you do work in response to prayer. Prayer is difficult. The author that I told you about that I'm basing some of this material on says this, that American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. He wrote, he took some reasons that he says America is so hard to pray. He says we're so busy. I mean, we are just a culture that is busy, busy, busy. We like being entertained. And prayer is not entertaining. We tend to trust in our talents. We sometimes experience our own unbelief. We may have questions about whether or not prayer makes a difference. We prize accomplishment and production. And we're used to the kingdom of noise. And we're very independent people. And so he says, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. But I will add another story that you have heard me say probably in this context in this setting before that I was in Africa one year out in the bush of the bush of the bush so it you know just we're out where there is nothing except the bush and I was at a a training school for Bible students so here are these uh, young men and women becoming pastors and I'd been doing some stuff on the word and on prayer and I was really embarrassed to say it say talking about some of these things to these people and they were in small groups like you are and so I talked and I gave them a question to answer around their small group and I went down to sit in one of the groups and and kind of sheepishly said do you have any of the problems that I'm talking about I was embarrassed like okay we'll zoom past this part because they don't need this part and because they're out in the bush and so uh, I said, do you have a hard time praying and spending time in the Word? You probably don't have those problems, do you? And they said, oh, Patti, oh, Patti, yes, we do, yes, we do. And I said, um, why? And they said, we are busy, we are so busy. And I'm thinking, you don't have a car, you don't have a mall, you don't have a TV, you don't have a phone, some of those things are changing now, you don't have a job, you don't have any of these things, and you're so busy, you're so busy? And immediately... It was like the Holy Spirit said, see, doesn't matter where you live. It's a tool of Satan to say, I'm so busy. And I am amazed at the people who say, I'm so busy, as if the people who pray are not so busy. But it's hard in, in our culture. Now, the question, one minute, 
So jump in there really fast. Which one of these things that I just gave most describes your own struggle with prayer? Of all those things that Miller said on your sheets right there, which one most describes your own struggle with prayer? What would you say right there? You may have this may be a little redundant. You may have kind of answered it, so it's just one minute around your table. Go. Okay, let's get into the meat of the lesson. This is when it gets to be better. I want two truths to go deep in your mind today, and if they're almost one truth, but I kind of separated them a little bit. If I could just take your head and, and open them up today and whisper something into it, a concept about prayer, and then close it up, and you'd leave here going. I got it. This, these are two truths that I want to put into your brain. I'm such a visual person. One truth that we have to get. Prayer is all about relationship. Prayer is all about relationship. I think prayer is often about a negative thing with most Christians. It's often a, a guilt thing. Where we're going, oh man, I'm just not spending enough time in prayer, and you feel guilty. Um, or it's a sense of duty. Okay, I'm a committed Christian, so I know I need to spend time in prayer and in the Word, so we're always having this duty thing. Or sometimes we're desperate. Or sometimes we just need something. But I don't know if we really get it quite well enough that prayer is about relationship. At its finest, at its simplest. It's about a deep relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Miller says it this way. When Jesus prays in the Gospels, he is not performing a duty. He's getting close to his Father. I collect quotes, as you know, you can tell, over 17 years of teaching you. One of my all-time favorite quotes about this is by Richard Foster. I read it probably 25 years ago, and it I believe it with all of my heart. Look at it. Prayer is a love relationship. An enduring, continuing, growing love relationship with the great God of the universe. This overwhelming love invites a response. Real prayer does not come by gritting our teeth, but by falling in love. Would you read that sentence with me out loud again? Real prayer does not come by gritting our teeth, but by falling in love. Oh, I believe that. With simplicity of heart, we allow ourselves to be gathered up into the arms of the Father and let him sing his love song over us. If you don't believe that, I think it's the last chapter of Zephaniah where it says that he dances over us. Prayer is all about relationship. and Oh, if we can get that, then it's not a duty to pray. It's like, thank you. I get to talk with you. I get to have a relationship with you, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Creator of everything, of, of Almighty God. I get relationship. Oh my goodness. One of the most amazing gifts we've ever been given. Probably at least half of my prayer time, I start out somewhere in my prayer saying, I can't believe I have this gift of prayer. I just can't believe it. The second thing that I want to stick inside your brains, okay? It's a little bit the same, but it's a little bit different. Prayer allows us to develop intimacy with our Savior. Intimacy. I know that sounds kind of the same, but I think there's...
there's a different nuance to it that I wanted to bring up. I'm not sure that most people really comprehend that God makes intimacy with himself possible. They see him maybe as a God far away, or as a God unconcerned, or as a God that where they're just too unimportant to him. Maybe he's a God who's too hard to please. But in prayer, I have someone to talk to about anything and everything at any time. That's unbelievable. I have a God to whom I can talk about anything, anywhere, at any time. I've told God things I've never told any other human being and never will. And that happens on a regular basis. This God of all gods, King of all kings, is my shepherd. John chapter 10, he's my shepherd. And he says, the the sheep know my voice. And I know them. And I call them by name. And the original uh, meaning of that is, I have a pet name for them. There's intimacy that's possible. When John chapter 15 talks about Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. That is such deep intimacy that you don't know where one begins and the other ends. That's such connectivity that it's a beautiful word picture, I think, of the intimacy that God wants for us. Often in the New Testament, and especially in the epistle, especially in the letters of Paul and Peter, they'll use the word in. Talk about Jesus in us, Christ in us, us in him. And it's it's designed to show this depth of intimacy where you If something is in you and you're in it, there is deep intimacy. He makes it possible, and yet so many Christians live without it. Oswald Sanders, one of my favorite authors, says this. uh, God made it possible, but we have to respond to that. So he says this. Both scripture and experience teach us that it is we, not God, who determine the degree of intimacy with him that we enjoy. We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. Would you read that sentence with me again out loud? We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. True, there are times when we would like to know a deeper intimacy, but when it comes to the point, we are not prepared to pay the price involved. Jesus longs, I don't understand it. Why in the world would he? But he longs for deep relationship with his people and for deep intimacy with his people. And he makes it possible. And one of the ways he makes it possible is when we develop this love relationship of prayer. Question for around your table. How can these two foundational truths that prayer is all about relationship and that it develops intimacy help you become a better prayer? Does that make sense? How does the fact that these two things are what he longs for, how should that affect your prayer life? Just two minutes. Go. Okie dokie here. So you've got those two foundational truths. Now let's um, talk about another thing that we all know, but I still want to deal with it a little bit. And that's this. Any relationship and any intimacy takes time. Relationship with our Savior is no different. When John and I were, you, some of you have heard this story before too, some of you have heard all my stories before. So, <laughs> At Battle Creek, I'm going to get to tell them all these stories and they'll never have heard it. I can say, you know, back at Heritage, they've heard these a dozen times. <laughs> but you're so kind, you still laugh at them. When John and I were falling in love, 
we um, we could not spend enough time together. And on a Friday night, we, he would pick me up at 5 o'clock. We would have dinner together. And then after dinner, we would go wherever. I don't know what we did back then. We didn't have any money. And so we would spend time together. And dorm hours back then, you know, in 1970, were 12 o'clock. And so we had to be back at the dorm at 12 o'clock. He'd drop me off at the dorm at 12 o'clock. He'd go back to his dorm. We'd each change clothes, and we'd get on the phone. Now, we had spent from 5 o'clock till midnight together. So we'd had seven hours. We'd said everything there was to say. And we'd get on the phone, and we had nothing left to say. But I remember so clearly saying, I just love to hear you breathe. <laughs> and now I say to him, would you turn over? <laughs> Driving me crazy. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. Not sure that's a good illustration about prayer. I think it broke down somewhere there in translation. But going back to my original point, that we couldn't get enough talking together. We just we just adored being together. And that's part of why we developed such intimacy and such relationship, because we just had so much time to do that. We, we, we just chose to take so much time to do that. I was looking through my journal to come up with things to share with you today, and one of the things I saw was um, when we did a cruise this winter, excuse me just a second, <coughs> we did a cruise this winter, I can't remember where, what page it was on here, and um, I... I would spend like from 9 o'clock until 12 uh, out on the front of or the back of the boat and and John would sit in one place and I'd sit in another and we would have just time alone and I would get to do three or four hours with, with alone with God. And so I would, at the end, I was writing about that and said um, something like, Lord, you would think that after doing this for five days or three or four hours, you would think that I would be going, okay, I'm tired of this now, but what it's doing is creating this tremendous desire for me to spend more time with you. And I think that is really true how it works. When we feed ourselves, whatever we feed ourselves, we hunger more for it. I mean, that's the bad thing about sugar. Again, another place that the illustration breaks down. The bad thing about eating sugar is that it's an addictive agent in our bodies that causes us to make to want more sugar. Same thing with simple carbs, breads, and those kinds of things. They, you eat them and you go, well, I should get full, but it triggers something in you that makes you want more. Uh, but if you go without something for a long time, then you kind of, you, you don't want it either. That's why you know, alcoholics have to go without drinking so that they, they don't have that, that addiction so strong in them. Well, the thing with prayer and time in the Word is when I, when I feed on the Word and when I spend time in prayer, it creates this longing, this hunger for more. But if I can go two or three days without doing it, it kills off the hunger. That's why for a lot of you, when you say, man, I've gone two or three weeks without spending time in the Word, it's really hard to get back into it. That's really true. And it'll take you two or three or four or five days to get back into where you go, okay, this feels again like I want to do this. That's why I really implore you to get on some kind of routine so that regularly for four and five and six days you spend time in the Word and time in prayer. Because it will invigorate that that something in you. Um, I love Miller's words here on your notes there. He says, any relationship, if it's going to grow needs private space, time together, without an agenda, where you can get to know each other. This creates an environment where closeness can happen. 
where we can begin to understand each other's hearts. Isn't that really, really true in all of relationship? Probably 30 years ago, um, I got this quote by Oswald Sanders that really challenged me. It's probably, I bet it was longer than that. I bet it was when I was about 27 when I was going through that that time of really wanting to become a person of the word and person of prayer, he says this, it shaped my life. It takes good time for the full flow of God into the spirit. Short devotions cut the pipe of God's full flow. It takes time in the secret places to get the full revelation of God. Little time and hurry mar the picture. I'd encourage you to take that quote and put it in your Bible or put it on a mirror or something so that you read it often. And whenever you start going through those periods of time, which you will, where you begin, you know, getting less time in the Word and less time in prayer, put that where you have to read it. You don't want... It's really true. It's like... You know, it's like there's this flow that comes from the, from the Spirit into our beings when we spend time with Him. And when we spend only little bits of time, it's like there's something cut off. Now again, it's not God's cutting it off. But it's, there's something about our psyche. There's something about our being. There's something about our emotional makeup and our mental makeup that we just need more time to unwind, to um, get into the mood of calmness and peace. So short devotions just don't work very well. Miller says this, you don't create intimacy, you make room for it. Isn't that good? Efficiency, multitasking, and busyness all kill intimacy. In short, you can't get to know God on the fly. (laughs) That's really good. You just can't do it. So the obvious implication of this is that we need to devote time to prayer if we're going to find this relationship with Jesus becoming all that it can be. But let me tell you something that you just have to, you have to remember with all of your hearts. It will, you'll always have to carve time out for prayer. That's your blank. You'll always have to carve time out for prayer. There will never become a time in your life When things won't crowd out time alone with God. Never. There will never be a time when the devil leaves you alone for long. You will always have to fight for time in prayer. Um, Turn to Luke uh, Luke 5. Luke 5. Luke 5, verse 15. Jesus has just healed a man with leprosy. So in verse 15, the news about him spread all the more so that... What what happened? What's your next word? Crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But what did Jesus do? Verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Look over in chapter 4, verse 42. Same book, Luke 4, 42. This is after he's been healing, healing, healing. Look at verse 40. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses. Laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of so many people shouting, You're the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. He's probably exhausted. He, all he's been doing is healing and casting out demons. And there's strong indication to understand that that withdrew power from him. 
So what did he do? Sleep in the next day? Verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Now, do you think he went out to exercise? (laughs) I don't think so. I was thinking about all of the times where Jesus withdraws to pray. I was thinking about um, after a crazy day like that, and in Mark chapter 1 it talks about that crazy day and and what all happened with it. Um, When he's getting ready to choose his 12, he spends the night in prayer. When they come to, he's healed people and they come to take him king, he withdraws. When he's in agony in the garden, he spends time in prayer. He's such a role model about prayer that the disciples come to him and say, would you please teach us how to pray? Um, he teaches the parables about the woman, the widow, to teach her, teach us not to not to give up in prayer. On the Mount of Transfiguration, where he goes up to spend time alone with the Father and spend time in prayer. Man, any relationship takes time. Relationship with our Father is no different. The question for you around your tables is this. For you to begin devoting more time to prayer daily and weekly... What thoughts come to mind about when you'll have about when you'll have to carve out time for it? What will people? Boy, I can't read. What will you probably have to cut out in order to devote more time to it? Now, again, this goes back to this idea that you will have to carve time out because it will never be easy. I used to think it would get easier. I remember thinking when I was working full time teaching that it would get easier when I stopped teaching and had a family. <laughs> My goodness, little toddlers, I'm telling you, the hardest time in your entire life to have a great prayer life and, and, um, and time alone with God is when you have toddlers. Infants and toddlers is just so hard. And I used to think, well, it'll get easier when they are in school. And then other things, I mean, they were gone maybe for those hours a day, but then other things crowded in. I thought it would get easier when they are in high school. It didn't get, it got harder because there were so many things crowding in. I used to think when the kids are gone, it'll get easier. I have found... It never gets easier. The demands of life will always, always be there to pull at you. You'll have to carve time out. So the question is again, for you to begin devoting more time, what thoughts come to mind for you about having to carve time out? What will probably have to be cut out of your life in order to devote more time to it? Just a couple minutes. Go. Okay. Somebody made a great comment that we'll come back to in the specific part where we do the practical guides to praying. But somebody said, okay, so you're saying I should be spontaneous in prayer, and now you're saying that I should be structured in prayer so I have a time to pray. I think it's not an either, and she already came up with it, I think it's not an either or, it's a both and. The trouble is, if I just leave my prayer life to spontaneity, it doesn't happen like it should. Sometimes I have to take this journal out. Uh, Jerry Bridges, an author, author who's helped me about this many, many years ago, um, he's a guru of this kind of stuff, and yet he said sometimes I have to take my Bible and take my journal and sit down at the dining room table and say, now get to it. He said that may not sound very, very spiritual, but sometimes if I don't do it that way, I never get to the spontaneous part. So a lot of times I'll take my journal and I'll sit down and I'll go, dear Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't feel anything. I'm exhausted or I've got so many things to do. I will only be able to do this if you help me. And then I turn to the scriptures and then I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Okay. Um, let's see. Let me see where we are. 1017. Oh, we're doing great. Just parenthetically now, we need to pray more than we even realize. When we go through our days without praying, we're living independent of God. Independent, you're blank. 
That's opposite from how he created us to live. We need to pray more than we realize. I think we just try to do life on our own far too much. When we go through our days without focused prayer, we're implying we can do this life by ourselves. Thank you very much, Jesus. But we're missing out on so much more that he has for us. More power, more strength, more wisdom, more fruit of the Spirit, more tons of stuff. I'm truly amazed at how much prayer enables me to live the way that he wants me to live. Miller says it this way, it's on your notes. If you're not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. Whoa. But if, like Jesus, you realize that you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy... No matter how tired you are, I think it's supposed to say, you will pray. I think I misquoted that. He says, Jesus is the most dependent human being who ever lived. Because he can't do life on his own, he prays. And then he says this. He's telling us to realize that like him, you don't have the resources to do life. When you know that you, like Jesus, can't do life on your own, then prayer makes complete sense. There are stages in life where it's really, really hard to, um, maybe harder than at other times. Like I said, I think moms with small kids have a harder time because you have a real hard time to, in being uh, consistent because the kids are not on the schedule like you would like for them to be. Um, but the trouble is, you need Jesus more than ever at those times to be the mom that you need to be. Because those kids drive you crazy, and those kids need extra patience, and those kids, kids need extra wisdom from you. And so... The time when it's so hard is the time that you need that so badly. Or maybe you're going through, you know, maybe you have a job, and then you have your family, and then you have church responsibilities, and you have ministry, and whatever, and you go, man, there's just so much going on in my life that I don't know how I can spend time in prayer. And the trouble is, in order to do all those things in the power of the Spirit, you need to pray. So don't ever say there is a time in my life when it's just too hard to carve out time to pray. If you say that, that is the very time you need prayer and the word more than ever. Let that be your cue, your kick, your conviction to say, oh my goodness, I'm saying I don't have time. Oh, I need it more than ever. Um, I put down there a bunch of scriptures for you to go to, to look at, to see different times when Jesus spent time in prayer. Um, this note-taking guide is extra long. As you can see, I tried to get it down to four pages, front and, you know, two pages front and back like we normally do, and I couldn't do it. I cut a ton of stuff out, but finally got it down to the six or five pages because I wanted enough stuff in here for you to take this home and put it in a file where you can pull it out maybe weekly or monthly for this next year. Go over these quotes, go over these scriptures, go over these truths about prayer. And so I want you to use this not just as a, okay, Patty taught this in February of, 2014, but I want you to use it and use it with other people. Okay? Another thing, in prayer, we need to come honestly, even when that means we must come messy. This is a really important lesson that some of you in here really need. I don't know who of you it is, but somebody really needs this. I don't know how many of you this would be, but many of you do need this because some of you are not good at this. Some of you are really good at it, some of you aren't. Miller says it this way, when we slow down to pray, we're immediately confronted with how unspiritual we are, with how difficult it is to concentrate on God. We don't know how bad we are until we try to be good. 
Nothing exposes our selfishness and spiritual powerlessness like prayer. The trouble is, that often causes us to pray without honesty. So we sit down and we start having time alone with God and he nudges us about the places where we're not where we need to be spiritually. What we tend to do, it's just weird. I don't even know how to describe it. Again, it's kind of a word picture. I picture it like, like my mind is focused right here on Jesus and the word. And then he speaks to me about something that is sinful or selfish or harmful or whatever. And it's like my mind goes, and I close the door and I continue to try to pray. And when I do that over a period of time, I've got these doors that are just shut. Some of you have that about things that are currently going on in your life. Some of you have about your past. You have things in your past that God needs to um, to process with you. That you need to uh, spend time just working through with him. But whenever he brings that to your mind, you go, close. And he tries to do the, close. And so you've not developed this spiritual part of your life of coming to him with the messy parts. Miller says the trouble is when we stop being ourselves with God, we are no longer in real conversation with God. Whoa, that's good. When we stop being ourselves with God, we are no longer in real conversation with God. Some of you have gotten mad at God and he wants to talk with you about that and process that with you. And you're... The solution, Miller says this, the only way to come to God is by taking off any spiritual mask. The real you has to meet the real God. So instead of being frozen by your self-preoccupation, talk with God about your worries or whatever it is. He says this, God wants us to come to him empty-handed, weary, and heavy-laden. Instinctively, we want to get rid of our helplessness before we come to God. I remember so clearly, I was um, 18 years old, and my best friend, Marsha, she would tell you this story if she were here. We had been best friends since 8th grade, and she'd gotten pregnant. And so she had gotten, she and Daryl had gotten married, and here she is um, pregnant with Deanna. And we had a revival at our church. And at the end of it, Marsha goes forward to the altar and Daryl goes forward to the altar two separate places and I went up with Marsha and I said Marsha are you ready to pray and she said I can't pray I've sinned I said oh Marsha the fact that you've sinned is the very reason you need to pray but that sentence that she said I mean, she said that we were 18 so I don't know 40 some years ago 45 I don't know how many years that stuck with me because that's how so many Christians live I can't pray I've sinned And the very fact that you've sinned is the very reason that you need to pray. So when you get tempted, when the Holy Spirit nudges you about something, past, present, future, I don't care what it is, and you start to go, oh, no, go back. And settle in and say, I need to come honestly. Jesus modeled this for us. Look at um, Hebrews 5. 7, Hebrews 5, 7. Now, he didn't model it when it comes to pray, to uh, sin, of course. But go to Hebrews 5, 7. Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, towards the end. Hebrews 5, 7. 
Now, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but somehow the writer knew this. Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And it was heard because of his reverent submission. That loud, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. I mean, that in, in the original language, that's powerful stuff. It's agonizing, God, you've got to help me. It's probably partly the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And other times when Jesus is saying, I am in agony here. Now, how did the writer know that? Because some of those times, Jesus did that without anybody being around. Jesus had to tell somebody. Jesus was just so authentic. And, you know, when he's in the garden and he's saying to the guys, I am just at the point of death here. I'm just hurting so badly. He was so authentic in his realness. Um, we got to come really honestly and openly. One of my favorite quotes about this is by um, Tozer. This is so good. You might want to put this somewhere where you can remember where it is, too. Oh, the, uh, let's see, I said this, but oh, the joy that comes when we realize we can honestly come to the one who knows us, who loves us most. Listen to this. How unutterably sweet is the knowledge that our Heavenly Father knows us completely. No talebearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet, that should say closet, to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our character can come to light to turn God away from us. Since he knew us utterly before we knew him, and he called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. Isn't that beautiful? Why can you come honestly with the mess? Because that's not a skeleton he doesn't know about. The trouble is when you try to close, you cut off relationship with him. You cut off intimacy with him. You cut off relationship with him. And I know it feels like you should because you don't want to go there. But he wants you to go there because you can go beyond there then. That's the good news. He doesn't want you stuck in that miry junk and garbage and terrible stuff. He wants to redeem that out of you. Now, he's already forgiven it if you've asked him for forgiveness. But I don't think that a lot of Christians just really go there to the depths of just processing that with him. He wants you to come honestly. The question around your tables, how do you tend to do with being honestly, completely, totally honest before the Lord? Why is this so essential in becoming a better prayer? And what has to happen in you for this to happen? Just kind of talk any way you want to about this idea that you need to come honestly, openly, even in the messy stuff. Any way you want to talk about it. Just a couple of minutes. Okay, I know that's not much time, but it's all the time you got. Let me put in a little word that you just need to get deep inside you, and that's this when it comes to prayer don't worry about feelings or results. Don't worry about feelings or results. You may or may not feel God's presence or cry or feel anything. That's okay. Because you know what? Relying on feelings can kill us. 
I think about in my marriage, if I just re- re- uh, relied on my feelings for John, if it were only in those times that I just, you know, just had this overwhelming gush of, of love for him, well, that would have been a pretty shallow marriage and it wouldn't have lasted very long. But it's partly, I just love him out of love. That is 1 Corinthians 13. It's not feeling-oriented many times. I love it when it's feeling stuff. I just love it when I just go, Oh, John, I just love you so much. I just don't say that all. It's not that way all the time. And I love him enough to die for him. But it's I can't be based on feelings. And a lot of us pray only when we feel like it. And it kills our prayer life. Sometimes you just got to sit down and do it until the until you kind of sense a little bit more of the peace and the presence of God. But don't don't do it according to that. Well, so now some practical ways in the last twenty five minutes. Some practical ways to help our prayer life. I probably need an hour on this, but we don't have it. Number one, develop the act of continuous praying. Don't look at those two scriptures. Instead, turn to First Thessalonians chapter five. Verse 16 and 17. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. This act of continuous praying. Paul writes, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. Pray continually. Um, I forget what Colossians 4. Turn over to Colossians 4 too. I forget what it says. Corinthians, Galatians. Colossians 4 2. Oh, I know what that says. The, my favorite verse. <laughs> Uh, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Say that with me. Devote yourselves to prayer. What's it say? Devote yourselves to prayer. Miller says it this way. It's on your note, guys. As we pray continuously, we turn all of our anxieties, concerns, and burdens into prayer. Oh, I said that. This is what he said. <laughs> Instead of hunting for the perfect spiritual state to lift you above the chaos, pray in the chaos. Say those words with me. Pray in the chaos. As your heart or your circumstances generate problems, keep generating prayer. You will find that the chaos lessens. I really believe that that's true. So you're having a terrible time with your kids right then. Then let that chaotic moment cause you, propel you, kick you, motivate you, convict you to turn that into prayer. Okay, like, Lord, right now you're going to have to help me because these kids are driving me crazy. Right now, Lord, I need patience. So your husband is getting on your nerves. Okay, Lord, right now I need your love for him. So the person at your table is talks too much and you just want to tell her to shut up. Okay, Lord, help me to have grace for her. Um, your, your boss is not being the right. Okay, Lord, right now in the chaos, your kids are rebelling. God, right now in my chaos, I'm turning it all into prayer. I just love that concept. I think it's the way God longs for us to do. He says, when you pray continuously, moments when you are prone to anxiety can become invitations to drift into prayer. So I'm getting, I'm, I'm doing this all the time right now with my house. I want my house to sell right away so that before we um, leave, we can box it up. And... We have two people who want our house, but they both have to sell their house. And so, houses. And so I just continually go, okay, Lord, as I start to think about getting anxious, I'm just talking to you. I'm just turning it to you. 
I'm just turning it into prayer. Okay, Holy Spirit, right now you change me. Give me peace. Okay, Lord, you do your will. So I'm taking the very things that cause me anxiety and turning them as invitations into prayer. He writes, when you stop trying to control your life and instead allow your anxieties and problems to bring you to God in prayer, you shift from worry to watching. He's got a thing about watching. that We, we watch with God. Question around your table, only two minutes. Have any of you grown in your ability to do this, and how has it helped you? How might it help you if you haven't done it yet? How would it help you to develop this continuous act of praying? Only a minute and a half. Go. Okay, I know that's not enough time. Thanks for (laughs) being patient with me today. So number one, develop the act of continuous praying. Number two, pray out loud. Remember we just read Hebrews 5-7, that with loud cries and petitions, he sobbed out his stuff. I think it will help a lot of us if we just get better at praying out loud. I'm not talking about praying around your table out loud, that's good too. But I'm talking about when you're all by yourself, just praying out loud. This is a spiritual discipline that I'm not good at, that I'm really, I've kind of taken the last three months and I'm really working hard at this. So like coming in to church today, one of the reasons this helps is because it helps us to stay more focused. Whenever I pray internally, my mind begins going everywhere. Yours does too, doesn't it? Praying out loud helps me to focus better. Coming in today all the way into work, I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray out loud. So I just talk to him out loud. And it it feels a little... um, I was teaching this to some young adults recently, and they said, I just feel strange... One of the young adults said, I just feel strange doing this. It felt weird. They said, anytime you develop a spiritual muscle, it's going to feel weird. And so um, do it until you see if if you can get a little bit more freedom with it. But I just prayed out loud all the way in for, you know, 25 minutes this morning. And it just helped me to focus. It helped me to stay um, without wandering, without going off on rabbit trails. I mean, it's okay to go off on rabbit trails, but it just helps me to, to stay... I, I just stop thinking, when I, when I do this, it helps me to really pray, rather than to go off just thinking about what I'm going to do throughout the day. Try it and see if it works for you. Um, but again, try it for a period of time because it's not an easy practice. The third one that I have taught over and over and over, I've told you a thousand times this one, I'll say it one more time on my last time standing before you, and it's journal your prayers journal your prayers. It's just one tool to help us focus. Now, if I'm standing in Zambia, Africa today, I don't talk to them about journaling their prayers. Why? They don't have paper to do it with. So this is not a, um, this is not a magical or a mystical discipline that you should do. This is not a biblical thing. Jesus didn't journal his prayers. But a lot of guys say to me, well, Jesus didn't journal. Go, yeah, and if you are great with your prayer life and never struggle, don't journal. This is just an option for people who say, I want to go deeper. I want to pay more attention. I want to be more focused. Um, I have a hard time because I don't stay real focused. And so this is an option. It's not the only option, but it is one that I think when people do this consistently over a period of time, they see their prayer lives being enriched. You simply, when you journal your prayers, you just pour out your thoughts, your concerns, your burdens, your praises to Jesus. You just talk to him like you're talking to anybody. The reason, one of the reasons it helps me so much is it causes me to slow down. I talk fast, I think even faster. 
and I need something to slow me down, and writing just forces me to slow down. It forces me to get more connected emotionally and and, and intellectual even with God. Um, I just chose one um, that I prayed um, this winter when I was going through all the tough stuff about trying to get to the place where I could release heritage and my role here um, to to the Lord. Lord, I don't know how to do this to give up my church for, at that point, this was before I heard about Battle Creek, to give up my church for six months. And keep that in mind that this is before I knew we would have any idea of moving. Uh, to give up my church for six months, that was the sabbatical. I don't know how to, uh, to do this. I don't know how to do this with my place, with this child of mine. I don't know how to live without my place, my role at Heritage. Others retire so they can do what they love. For me, retiring and not having heritage results in this empty page of no purpose, no meaning, no fulfillment. So what do I do? I turn over the empty page to you and ask you to write upon it in your new purpose and role and place for me. And I was studying John chapter 4. I wrote down, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Lord, that's my deepest desire. But And I've been studying that scripture. But Lord, are you telling me to read farther this next part too, where it says, Open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Are you telling me that there's still a massive harvest field out there of people needing you, your word, salvation, discipleship? I have to open my eyes outside of heritage, don't I? A place where someone else has done to go to somewhere, perhaps where, uh, to go somewhere where someone else has done the hard work. That's verse 38. And you will use us to reap the harvest that the others have worked hard for. The harvest field for 41 years has been heritage. With a little harvest in other states as I've gone to share. Now the harvest field will become for us outside of the QCA. I can't even begin to imagine that, Lord. Not a bit. But I surrender, I surrender, I surrender to your will, whatever the harvest field is. For me, journaling helps me develop deeper relationship and become more intimate. And for me, it helps me become more honest. There is something that it becomes, for me, it really becomes therapeutic. It it pulls out stuff inside me that sometimes I don't even know is there. I encourage you to do it. I know people get scared about their um, journals. Will somebody find them? I've been doing this since I was 27 years old, and I lost my first one um, this winter. And so it is possible. When I do it, I don't put anybody's name in it. I... Like if I'm writing about you, Jasmine, which I would never do in a negative way, but if I'm writing about you, uh, I do shorthand, and so I will just write, uh, and Lord, you know my struggle I'm having with Jasmine. I never write the name Jasmine, I just put it in shorthand, because if somebody finds it, they won't know who I'm writing about, and I would never want anybody to feel bad about somebody else because of my journal. And so um, for me, I'd say if you are scared about journaling and having somebody read it, tear it up then and throw it away. But it could be something really helpful for you. The, the other one is to pray scripture. Pray scripture. There is no right or wrong way to pray scripture. Sometimes, uh, I I pray scripture all the time. Probably 90% of the time that I do, I mean, not not when I pray all day, you know, all throughout the day continuously, but when I'm in my focused time alone with God, when I'm sitting down with my Bible and my journal, um, I pray scripture. 
time. And for me, that will mean sometimes I'll go, like especially if I don't feel like praying, I'll go to the book of Psalms and I'll read until I find one that kind of expresses my feelings. Like uh, one day I was praying Psalm 91. Lord, I pray your word from 71 as it pertains to me. And this just seemed like it was God writing it to me. So I just wrote it out. Praying his word. There's something about you just feel like I'm really praying powerfully when I'm praying his word. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. This is again when I was going through the really rough time this winter. I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. You're my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O God. Um, For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do you see how that just, I mean, that just feels like it's it's my words. I feel like God wrote those for me to pray to him. And then I'm going to, he says, do not cast me away when I'm old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. Be not far from me, O Lord. Come quickly, O my God, to save me. That's just praying scripture. Just purely, not only does it help me to feel like I'm really connecting with God, but it helps me know scripture. And I go back and say, you know, when I'm trying to think, oh, where's that scripture I just read recently about don't forsake me when I'm old? So sometimes I just simply pray scripture. Sometimes I take scripture and paraphrase it. So, um... Oh, shoot, I forget where it's... I'm trying to hurry now. Um, sometimes I'll take scripture and I'll, I'll go, um, okay, I'm studying um, Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer. So I'll just say, okay, Lord, this says devote yourselves to prayer. Lord Jesus, how do I devote myself to prayer more? What are the things that are keeping me from devoting myself to prayer? So I just take scripture and put it in my own words sometimes. Lord, what does it mean to devote and so, just taking scripture, for me, spending, when I say spending time in prayer, if I say to you, I spent an hour in prayer today, that means I spent time with the word in prayer. Now, there are some times, obviously, when I'm just, if I'm just, you know, in the car, I'm not doing that. But if I'm doing that focused time with God, and I say I spent time in the word, I want to not just talk to him, but I want to hear from him. And taking the word and taking it back to him, you just feel like you're, you know, a lot of times you go, I don't know what else to pray for my kids. I don't know what else to pray for this situation. Go to the word and pray the word. When I don't, when I start out praying, I usually turn to the Psalms just to get me in the mood, just to praise. So I'll find a Psalm that's really good in praise, and I'll just start writing that out. Just go, oh dear Lord, I love the words here that David prayed, and I'm saying these words to you. I'm just telling you how much I love you, and I'm telling you, uh, your love is unfailing. And with you, there's full redemption, Lord Jesus. I just want to thank you for redemption in you, and I want to thank you that uh, I can sit here and praise you. So I just take the word and journal it out. I mean, you don't have to journal this. You can just say the words out loud, but it helps you to focus. Okay, um, real fast around your table, one minute. What benefits would come to you if you did more praying the scriptures? What benefits could come in your own spiritual life? If you did more of praying scripture, of using scripture in your prayer life. One minute, so maybe one person or two people share. Go. And remember what I just said about praying scriptures? There's no right or wrong way to do it. 
So if you say, well, Patty, I do it a little bit differently than you do. Great. I don't care. Teach me. I'll be happy to incorporate your way. Most people don't pray scriptures. You know, if they say I don't do it well, they haven't practiced doing it. Because there's no right or wrong way to do it. I really strongly encourage you. Your assignment sheet gives you some uh, suggestions to do for the next month. And I think it would really help you. Finally, the role of transformation in prayer. Often I've heard people say, I'm not even sure why to pray. It doesn't seem like he's answered. I prayed for my kids for 15 years and they haven't come to Christ. I prayed for my husband and he's not a believer. Um, I prayed about this financial situation and we're still in it. But Miller says these things on your notes. We forget that God is not a genie, but a person who wants to shape us in the image of his son as much as he wants to answer our prayers. At the center of self-will is me, carving a world in my image At the center of prayer is God carving me in his son's image. Why pray? That's it. At the center of self-will is me carving a world in my image. At the center of prayer is God carving me in his son's image. Why pray? Because God wants to transform your life. And then he says, the great struggle in my life is not trying to discern God's will. It's trying to discern and then disown my own will. Once I see that, Prayer flows. I have to be praying because I'm no longer in charge. I encourage you to get Miller's book. It would really help you. On your note, on your tables, there are bracelets. If you were at Girls' Night Out last year, you know that we did these bracelets. Um, Colossians, turn to there real fast, would you? Uh, Colossians four six. Four twelve. Paul writes about Epaphras, somebody in the Colossian church who is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you will stand firm in all of the will of God, mature and fully assured. Guys, that's what I will be praying for you this year. Colossians four twelve. I'll be wrestling in prayer for you that you will stand firm in all the will of God. Mature and fully assured. And I'd love for you to take your bracelet and wear it periodically to remind you to wrestle in prayer for me, to wrestle in prayer for our church, to wrestle in prayer for our teachers at Heartstrings, to wrestle in prayer for your family, to wrestle in prayer for whatever God wants to do in and through your life. But Colossians 4.12 could be our kind of... um, uh, covenant together that we'll wrestle in prayer for each other. I want to end by doing uh, this around your table first. Would you just have one or two people pray and then I want to pray for you. Okay? Maybe just pray. You know what? Let's do this. Just pray sentence prayers around your table so that everybody prays out loud. And if you say, well I'm scared to pray out loud. After this lesson you're going to say that? Come on. (laughs) Tough. Sentence prayers around your table, then I want to pray for you. Okay? Would you um, would you stand up around your table and just hold hands around your table? I want to, I just want to pray over you for this um, one more time. I'm going to pray the word over you, okay? 
where Jesus had just joined with Paul as he prayed for the Ephesian church. These people that he just loves so much that even um, in the book of Acts, I love it where it talks about when he was getting ready to leave the elders of the Ephesian church and um, they just all wept and wept together and he just he just loved them so much. That's my feeling for these women as we bow together. So I pray your word for my friends for this reason. I kneel before you, my Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of your glorious riches, you will strengthen my sisters with power through your spirit and their inner being so that Christ will dwell in their hearts through faith. And I pray that each one of them will be rooted and established in love. Help their love to go so deep that nothing will ever be able to shake it. And I pray that they will have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love. And that they will know this love that surpasses knowledge. And I pray that you will fill them to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then we say to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. According to your power that is at work within us. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Thank you for your holy living word. Thank you for this privilege, this gift of prayer. Thank you for love relationships with one another that go beyond words. And I bring all of my sisters before you and pray, Lord Jesus, that not one of them will ever walk away from you. Pray that every single one of them from this day forward will go deeper in their prayer lives. I pray that you would help them to be able to say years from now that I looked back on that day and said, like Patty said at 27, I will become a person of the word and a person of prayer no matter what. May we pay the price to be women who love you passionately, who will die for you, who will live for you, and through whom you just get all the glory. So I pray that you will take care of them, that you'll grow them, that you'll mature them. I pray for all of the teachers next year, Lord, that you would use them in mighty ways. And I pray that the love that we have had in these last years will only grow and deepen over the next. Among each one of these tables, each one of these women. How we praise your name for being our Lord, our Savior, and everything. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen.